Welcome to Furniture of My Mind, your quirky Sunday morning podcast in which I bring you uh uh it's complicated. Today I bring you fluidity. The dictionary definition of fluidity is the quality of being graceful and flowing, smooth and continuous. I have come to appreciate it more and more. In fact, fluidity is one of my two favorite words now. Fluidity is to flexibility as empathy is to sympathy. I think I was introduced to fluidity in my childhood. When I was born, my parents lived in a three-room house. At some point in my toddlerhood, I remember one of those rooms was occupied by a pair of rabbits. In retrospect, It's amusing to think that we were sharing 33% of our habitat with a pair of rabbits. Fortunately, there is no memory of them breeding like a pair of rabbits. So either they had been married long years and grown disinterested in one another before they came to live with us, or were so addicted to Netflix that they didn't really have the time or the inclination for any other pastime, even for posterity's sake. As was the custom in the India of those days, outstationed relatives would visit and stay for days, irrespective of how many bathrooms you had. The number of people to be accommodated in those two rooms would occasionally rise enough for the pair of rabbits to roll their eyes and snigger at how the humans bred. My adult analyzing mind wonders how the logistics were really managed. I mean not just bathrooms, you required bedding for so many people fortunately those were days when neighbors were as close as relatives and would pitch in with whatever help was needed they were often even addressed as relatives like chacha and mossy and bua etc anyway the point i was trying to make is that there was obviously no defining the two remaining rooms as a bedroom and a living room there was fluidity in their character Like the people who lived in them, rooms of those times were happily accommodating, ready to don a different hat at the top of a well, hat. So in perfect jugalbandi, both the rooms would become living rooms during the day with spaces for the women to chat about family matters and the men to talk about Actually, I don't know what men talked about before they started talking about the latest gizmo they had acquired, the features of the new car they were planning to buy, the imported fittings they had used for the house, or the attributes of the scotch they were drinking. Maybe they talked about mundane things like some article they had read and liked in a literary magazine, or about a faraway place they had visited, which had required a two-day train journey. Or maybe they guffawed over the shared memories of a festival past or the time when they had faced a family emergency all boring stuff which only served the purpose of uniting as a family not impressing or subtly declaring how well they were doing for themselves meanwhile children hovered jumped and chased each other in the two rooms rarely sitting down to play something and if they did it was never quietly So there would be the happy sounds of a real get together not needing the clinking of glasses or a sumptuous spread to make it so Come to think of it in those times each day was a get together of sorts 
as the family cooked, ate, slept, laughed, chatted and went out together. Coming back to fluidity, I'm reminded of the time we would go and visit my paternal uncle who lived in a large koti in a small town. The house had been built by my grandfather and had a large open courtyard in the center. The customary design in those times, I guess. This courtyard, or the angan as it was called, was supremely fluid as a living space. During the day, it was where we kids ran around and played catch. One corner of it had a permanent mud stove, a chula, where the evening meal was cooked in the summer. We had dinner in the angan too. So it served the purpose of a kitchen and a dining room, and at night was transformed into a large sleeping under the stars chamber. Charpais or cots were laid out in rows, each with its two pairs of slim bamboo sticks on which a white muslin mosquito net was raised like a sail to help you to smoothly drift away to slumberland. There was no way you could oversleep in this open bedchamber. Most adults rose at dawn with the first rays of the sun, while children were allowed to sleep longer. But if you slept too long, your bedtime accessories were yanked off you in stages. The net and the sticks were the first to go, the net wrapped around the top end of the sticks like a giant candy floss. Then, your top sheet was yanked off in one quick move. Older cousins relished this duty greatly. Once in a while, a younger one got to do so, knowing fully well that he was courting danger as a whole day of repaying for this one insolent act lay ahead of him. As the monsoon approached, on many a night, there would be a mass exodus of people carrying children, carts, beddings, etc. to the veranda lining the angan as big drops of rain plopped all around. As everything else back then, this too was a process. The first tiny drops were not felt by the deep sleepers and ignored by the light sleepers in the hope that it was a passing cloud. As the size and frequency of the drops increased, however, the aforementioned exodus began and ended the orderliness of the arrangement. Thus would end another mini-cycle of chaos following order, only to begin afresh the next night. It was a bit more complicated if strategically placed table fans and water-bearing clay surahis were also part of the paraphernalia. I learned that living elaborately for that extra ounce of comfort meant that one had to be ready for more effort if and when the time for downsizing arose. Apart from serving the purpose of a dining room, a bedroom and a play area, the Angan was also the star space at any festival or family event. The patches of colour on its rugged floor stood witness to the vigour with which Holi had been played there. I'm sure the ants living in the cracks would have had a field day collecting the crumbs of gujias, the special sweet made on Holi, that fell on the Angan floor. Actually, come to think of it, it wasn't just us, but other creatures too who used the Angan. Apart from the ants, the lizards would use it as their dining room too, shimming up the thick pillars below the archways to make a sumptuous meal of the plethora of moths fluttering near the light bulb. 
Apart from Holi and Diwali, it was used for larger family functions like a threat ceremony or a wedding. All three of my uncle's daughters were married in that angan. The buffets were laid out in the grounds of the koti, but all the ceremonies took place in the angan. A bunch of my nieces and nephews have happily toddled there, taking their first doddering steps on the uneven floor. That angan lived a long and fulfilling life, witness to the mundane, the very special, and everything in between in the lives of four generations of the family. During that time, never once was the need felt to renovate or refurbish it. In another time, our family of three lived in a house with five rooms. Each room had a fireplace and was clearly designed for a specific purpose. But my maverick father's creative juices would have none of it. We lived in that house for several years and I remember the study turning into a bedroom for a while. This experiment was short-lived as it was a room where you entered the house and the dining room transforming into a decorated kirtan room every Thursday evening, filling up with people singing together the glory of God. Our kitchen too had a double personality. With its table for four, it was our daily dining room. Interestingly, as the actual dining room was used when we had guests or outstation relatives visiting, the prayer room aspect of it slowly expanded. Taking the personality of each room to another level, my father once named each of them. The names were displayed on little white cards stuck on the doors with tape, with his decorative style of writing announcing its name before you entered the room. So the drawing room became Gunjan, resonating with voices. The study, Chintan, contemplation. The bedrooms, Swapnil and Khwabgah, where you dream. The kitchen, Annapurna, the goddess of food and plenty. The bathroom, Rimjim, the sound of falling water. And the two WCs, Tanhai, solitude. Even brick and mortar walls could not confine the character of a room. Yes, my life lessons about flexibility leading to fluidity had well and truly started. I learned to not take the physical environment too seriously. Apart from fulfilling our basic needs of shelter and everything associated with it, it was, like a lot of things in life as I was to learn later, there for us to play with creatively. Though I was quite oblivious of it then, my Vedantic learning of Neti, Neti, not this, not this, had begun early in life.